You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. A man. I sought for a man among them who would, who would make up the hedge and stand in the gap before the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. God says, I sought for a man, an individual. God in this passage isn't looking for an army. God is looking for one man, one individual. And I would ask you the question this morning, I would ask you the question, do you believe that one person can make a difference? Now, that may be easy for many of us to believe. I think most of us could possibly be talked into agreeing with, yes, one person can make a difference. But could you agree with this statement? You can be that one person. Sometimes we struggle with that part, but I hope you don't. I want to preach today about the power of one. The power of one. On April 21st of 1855... There was a man by the name of Edward Kimball. Some of you will be familiar with the name. Most of you would not be. Edward Kimball was a young and somewhat timid Sunday school teacher. He had become concerned about one of the young men that were coming to his Sunday school class. While he was doing his best to teach them about Christ and teach them the way of salvation, Chad, he wasn't paying any attention in class. And that bothered him. In fact, the only reason that this young man was coming to church at all is his uncle gave him a job. When I read this, it made me think of Ralph. His uncle gave him a job contingent with the fact, if you'll go to church, I'll get you, I'll hire you at my shoe store. Um, So this young man's heart was stirred for this boy. He prayed and he mustered up the courage to go down and talk to this young man, Dwight, on the job. But when he got down to the shoe store, he met another player in this story that I'm telling you about the power of one. He met another player, a player, a person, a character by the name of fear. Some of you can identify with this. Probably most of us can. He got to that shoe store and he couldn't quite get himself to go in. He began to have second thoughts. He began to have thoughts of rejection. He began to have thoughts of confidence. Will I be able to communicate the message? He goes in. He, he finally, by the grace of God, he takes, he takes a deep breath. He musters up the courage, and into the store he goes. Back to the back where Dwight is stocking shelves. He begins the best he can with a pounding heart to try to share the gospel, the good news of having a personal relationship with Christ with this young student in his Sunday school class. He leaves dejected and defeated because he doesn't think that Dwight got it. But he did. But he did. This young man, Dwight, 
There's a lot of great history about him, but he went on to become Dwight L. Moody. This man went on to become a preacher. I wish I could tell you, if any of you think that my grammar and English and things are bad, you should go back and read some of D.L. Moody's writings and preaching. He dropped out of school in eighth grade, and I think to say he had an eighth grade education would be giving him too much of a compliment because he may have went through school through eighth grade. But nevertheless, this man got on fire for God. He got a concern for souls, and God called him to preach. He began to preach. He was able to preach around the world. He was able to preach, and he was able to preach, and it's said that in his lifetime that there was probably more than one million people that were saved under the ministry of D.L. Moody. He would pack out venues like Wrigley Field, standing room only, people standing outside to hear the message preached. God used him in a great way. While he was in the British Isles, he met another man by the name of, uh, uh, let's see, let me see if I can find his name. I was about to say it's not important, but it's, it's important in, in history, isn't it? He met a man by the name of Frederick Meyer. Frederick Meyer was encouraged by the testimony of Edward Kimball having the courage to go talk to Dwight about the Lord, and it changed his life in ministry. He came and preached in America, influenced God, used him in great ways. But during one of the times that he was preaching, there was a man that was listening to him preach by the name of J. Wilbur Chapman. And God called J. Wilbur Chapman to preach the gospel. So this young man, so Dwight L. Moody to, to Frederick Meyer, and then Frederick Meyer to Chapman, thousands, I mean, many, many thousands came to Christ under Chapman. In Chapman's ministry, though, he, he brought on a young assistant, a former baseball player from Ames, Iowa, by the name of Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday went on to preach to, a hundred, they, they, they estimate probably a hundred million people, and there's estimates that a million people came to Christ under, under Billy Sunday's preaching. Billy Sunday went to Charlotte, North Carolina in one of his crusades, uh, and he invited another preacher to come preach by the name of Mordecai Ham. Anybody glad that's not your name, young people? Mordecai Ham? But, uh... He invited Mordecai Ham to come preach in Charlotte, North Carolina. Well, there was a farmer up in Asheville that loaded up his family and said, let's go down and hear the preaching. And among his family, there was a 16-year-old boy that heard that preacher preaching. And God convicted his heart, and young Billy got up out of, got, got up out of his seat and came forward and received Christ as his Savior. That young man was Billy Graham. Billy Graham went on in his lifetime, it's estimated in his crusades alone, it's estimated that he preached to 2.2 billion in person. 2.2 billion in person. We're not even talking about those that would hear on the radio, those that would hear on TV, in person. And it's estimated that there were some 2.2 million people come to Christ under Billy Sunday or under Billy Graham's preaching, and that's what who came what was estimated to come forth just in the Crusades alone. That's a pretty cool story, isn't it? The power of one, one man that most people don't know know about. 
But this illustrates what I feel like we're dealing with really today. It's an amazing story. It's an amazing testimony. But I want to go back just for a moment because I want to go back and just put ourselves back in Edward's shoes again. Go back to that sh- being out in front of that shoe store. See, God moves on our hearts to speak up for Him. God moves on our hearts and really requires of us as God's people to stand up for Him and to speak out for Him. But just like that one man, Edward Kimball, that day, he struggled on whether or not he was the man. Now, he may have also believed that the power of one. He may have also believed that God could do great things through one person. But he was struggling to believe that he was that person. He was struggling with fear and insecurity. But I want to say something today. There's a God in heaven... I read that we started off by reading the text. There's a God in heaven today that knows the power that one person can make. He knows the difference that he can work through one person's life. Satan also knows the power of one. He knows that the difference. Now, I'm not here today to say that every one of us are going to be influential in several million souls coming to Christ. But let me tell you something, you may be instrumental in one soul coming to Christ. You can change the world, the power of one. God can make a difference. But but, But the weapon, the number one weapon that Satan uses is fear. He uses fear. And I believe one of the greatest rivals that we face to making a difference in our generation is that of fear. For too long in America, our society has expected Christians to politely keep their faith within the four walls of the church. And way too often in America, we've obliged them. We'll speak up and speak out within this building, but we'll just keep it to ourselves when we go outside. See, we're told not to be disruptive. We're told as Christians to turn down the volume a little bit. We're told not to be so, um, you know, we're told not to talk about Jesus so much. We're told that we should lay off some of the Bible quotations that we use. Turn down the volume. Don't be disruptive. And now we live in a time to where if we don't, you just might be canceled. You may be canceled if you do not uh, turn it down. Keep it within the four walls. Keep it within your own home. See, what we face today is fear. And I want to say that the phrase cancel culture is a relatively new phrase in our, uh, in our environment. But the practice of cancel culture has been around for a very long time. And may I just add here, you go visit socialist and communist countries, it's been there for a very long time. And that's why the growing trends in our country 
are disturbing. But by the grace of God, we will not acquiesce. We will not bow down. By God's grace as God's people, folks, listen, we're here on a mission. You are where you are, whether it's in your home, whether it's on your job, whether it's in your neighborhood. Folks, we are there. We've got a great mission in your school, wherever it is. The power of one. We have a great example in the Gospel of John, chapter number 9. And I'm not going to take the time to share the entire chapter with you. I would encourage you to read it later on. But I'm going to get you up to speed in John chapter 9. Jesus heals a blind man. Can anybody in here, anybody else in here say, I was blind, but now I see? Amen. Isn't it wonderful to be saved by the grace of God? Isn't it wonderful to have experienced a personal touch from Jesus Christ? Oh, I'm so glad I'm not just a religious person up here today. I'm glad I'm a child of the King. Amen. I'm glad I'm a transformed child of God. And I, I hope that you are too. This man was healed and touched by Jesus. So much so that it began to stir Jerusalem. It began to get people's attention. It began to change the status quo. And uh, this man, I guess, was young enough to where the, 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 the leaders of that day, the religious leaders, they were also the political leaders, but they called this young man's parents. And we'll pick up there in John chapter 9, verse 18, where the Bible says, But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him that had received his sight. And they asked them, saying, Is this your son, who ye say was born blind? How then doeth he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But by what means he now seeth, we know not. Or who hath opened his eyes, we know not. He's of age, ask him, he shall speak for himself. And may I just pause right there and say, is there anybody in here willing to speak for themselves? He let him speak for himself. But notice verse 22. These words spake his parents because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if any man did not confess that he was Christ, or did confess that he was Christ, he should be listened put out of the synagogue, i.e. canceled. So the whole dialogue we just read between these leaders and their parents, is, is his, this man's parents, is his parents walking on eggshells. It's his parents saying, okay, what do they want me to say here exactly? What can I say truthful without crossing the line? They, 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 they spoke, but they spoke with fear. Fear of being canceled. And what you're going to see this morning is that you're going to see a number of people who allow fear to be the motive of what they do, or maybe more particular, of what they don't do. Fear is their motive. What was their motive? Why didn't they speak up and say, we'll tell you what happened? Jesus Christ, that man right there, he did it. But they couldn't, they, they, because of fear, they couldn't tell the truth. They could have, 
But there was a risk in telling the truth. Now, I want you to know something, man. I love this guy here in John chapter number 9. Because let me tell you something about him. Jesus not only gave this man his sight, he also gave him a backbone. He gave him a backbone like a saw log. Amen? And if you don't believe me, look at these words right here. Look at verse 24. And you've got to read the whole chapter. Please, you don't do it now, but do it later. You've got to read the whole chapter to really get it. But uh, verse 24, the Bible says, Then again called they the man. He's already had some interaction with them. They called the man that was blind, and they said unto him, Give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner, saying Jesus is a sinner. He answered and said, Whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know that, whereas I was blind, now I see. You know what this man did not do? He did not do what they told him to do. All he had to do was just say, Okay, you want me to just... Praise God, thank you God for giving my sight, and that could have been the end of it. I've been thinking a lot about this, young people, old people alike. You know, back during the, during the days of the early Christians, when Caesar Augustus, uh, you know, uh, Octavian, declared that he was Lord, he was God, it was okay to have as many gods as you wanted. That was fine. But you just needed to include Caesar as one of the gods. So the common practice, boys, was that a Roman uh, soldier may come to you and say, hey, we want you to make an offering to Caesar. And so they would give them a little bit of incense, and they say, all you got to do is take this little bit of incense and go put it on that fire over there and say, Caesar is Lord. You didn't have to say he was exclusively Lord, just Caesar is Lord. But do you know what God's people were willing to do rather than do that? Be canceled. They would rather be killed. Because they said, there's only one Lord, and His name is Jesus Christ. He's my Lord. Now I'm saying all that to say, how many of you here in that little story right there think to yourself, well, couldn't I just cross my fingers? Right? It makes no sense to make a stand like that and risk losing everything. I'll just cross my fingers and I'll say, Caesar is Lord, and, and in my, my, my mind, I'll spell it with a lowercase l. You know? That's, that's for another message, but why is it worth standing up for what's right? Why is it worth paying the cost? That'll be perhaps another message. But here's this man, but let's continue here. Verse 24, we see his answer. He did not say what they wanted him to say. Verse 25, he answered and said, oh, I'm sorry, I've read that one in there. Verse 26, then said they to him again, what did he to thee? How opened he thine eyes? Now, he's already told them this, but they're giving him a chance to make it right. Verse 27, he answered them, I have told you already, and ye did not hear. Wherefore, listen to this, would ye hear it again? Will ye also be his disciples? <laughs> this guy. Will ye also be his disciples? Is, is that why you're answer, asking me these questions? Skip down to verse 30 with me. The man answered and said unto them, Why herein is a marvelous thing that ye know not from whence he is, and yet he hath opened mine eyes. I just find that an amazing account here in the Gospel of John chapter number 9. 
Because this blind man, this man without support, without resources, makes an impact. This one man, because he has the courage to tell his God story. He's got the courage to say, this is what God did in my life. He had the courage to say it without saying, okay, what's the best way? How can I say this and them not be offended? Now, understand this. I'm not out trying to be an offensive person. And Christians ought not be trying to figure out ways, how can I get somebody stirred up? That ought not not be our motivation uh, today. The Bible says we need to speak the truth in love. But you've got to understand something. Sometimes they don't want to hear what we've got to say. They don't want to hear the truth. They don't want us to stand up. They don't want us to speak out. But you know what? We do it anyway. We do it because we love them. We do it, number one, because we love God. See, this, this, I'm going to get back to chapter 9 in just a minute, but I want to take a quick journey through a couple other uh, places in John and come back and close here in just a moment. But if you'd like to, you can turn a few pages over to John 12. Verse 42, the Bible says, Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also, many believed on Jesus. Many believed on Him. This is John 12, verse 42. It says this, But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess Him. Which is to say, they did not openly admit that they knew Him or believed on Him. Lest, listen to this, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. Listen to this, child of God. May this not be said of any of us. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. They loved the acceptance of men more than the acceptance of God. You and I, if you're you're a child of God, I believe with all my heart, number one, whether you feel it or not, you've got to know it, that God wants you to be a witness for Him. You've got to know that He wants you, at the very least, at the very least, and I guess at the top of my message is this, being willing to share the gospel with people, being willing to let people know the love of God, being willing to speak to that person out in public and just let them know Jesus loves them, being willing to speak to family, co-workers, whatever it may be, to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we are met with fear oftentimes, aren't we? Many of us, like Edward Kimball, stand in those shoes of reluctance. We stand in those shoes of, you know what, I'm going to do it. Oh, I don't know if I'm going to do it. I don't know if I can summon the courage to do it. What if? What if he rejects me? What if I sound like a fool? But then we've got to stop and ask ourselves the question, wait a second. Whose acceptance am I more concerned with? I believe I would rather Christ be pleased with me than this teenager in their stocking shelves. Right? I would rather God be pleased. I think I'm going to be more concerned with God than I am what He thinks and knows about me than I am that other person, whoever they may be. See, the leaders were the elite of this day. And 
And in our text in, in, in the in Gospel of John chapter 12, they feared that they might lose their positions. They feared they might lose their social status and potentially they could lose their wealth. Let me tell you something about these Jewish leaders. These were some rich dudes. But if they get ostracized and put out of the synagogue, that means they're losing their jobs. That means they're losing their social status. There's a lot on the line. So therefore, Jesus said they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. They made it clear. The Pharisees, the leaders, the government, if you will, made it clear that if you affirm Jesus Christ, you may be put out of the synagogue. You will lose your place you'll lose your place all right does that sound familiar see we're not the first generation to face what we're facing today when we decide to surrender to christ i want to tell you something today it takes courage and it takes strength to believe it takes a courage and i've got good news for you it's not all about you being exceptional it's about you number one being saved and if you're saved, it's about having the exceptional Holy Spirit of God dwelling inside of you. See, we need courage today. We're not the first generation to be threatened if we stand up for Jesus. Who are we going to be? Who are you going to be, church? Who are you going to be? See, the power of one. One person makes a difference. What you choose to believe makes a difference. I'll share another verse with you quickly. I'll have it read probably by the time you get there, but if you want to mark it down, John 7, 12 through 13. And there was much murmuring among the people concerning him. For some said, he's a good man. Others said, nay, but he deceiveth the people. Howbeit no man spake openly of him for fear of the Jews. Now, fast forward with me to the end of the Gospel of John. Into, now, but by this time, we get to John 19. Jesus has been betrayed. Jesus Christ has been crucified. And in John 19, verse 38, we meet a man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea. I believe, doubtless, he was one of the people mentioned when it says he believed on him but they were scared to speak up. Notice what the Bible says in John 19, 38. And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but notice this, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him leave. He came, therefore, and took the body of Jesus. This man is a believer, but he has been bullied into submission. He's a secret believer. He knows the greatness of God's grace. He knows what it means to be forgiven. He's a believer in Christ, but he's a secret follower of Christ. Oh, we have way too many secret followers of Christ. In the churches of America today, do we not? Maybe even among us today, there's a secret follower of Christ among us. He said, oh no, preacher, I'm here this morning. 
But I want to ask you, where are you going to be this time tomorrow? And Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. I'm letting my life speak, preacher. I'm just living a life and everybody's going to see it and, and want to come to Jesus. Well, you know, there's some biblical basis to that. We ought to live lives that attract people to Jesus, but that's not all. We must also vocally try to find a way to tell them about Jesus. Not be a secret disciple, amen? A secret uh, follower of Jesus. There was another man. Again, John 19, look at the, in verse 39, the Bible says, And there came also Nicodemus, which, first, which at the first came to Jesus by night. You remember that, John 3? He came to Jesus by night, presumably because he didn't want to be seen in the day. Now by this time, Nicodemus also had believed on him. But the Bible says he brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight, and they took the body of Jesus and wound it in linen clothes with spices as in the manner of the Jews is to bury. Now just picture with me a moment. These two men, Nicodemus, and picture with me not only Nicodemus, but picture also with me uh, Joseph of Arimathea. They had seen Jesus do miracles. They saw Him loving people. They saw Him reaching out and doing miracles in people's lives. And you know what? They believed on Him. What a Savior. This is the Messiah. This is the one that Isaiah prophesied about. This is the one that goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. That this is Him. This is wonderful. And they wanted to speak up. They wanted to say something. But when they were about to speak up and say something, they thought, but if we say something, that fear crept in. Just like Edward Kimball outside of that store. Oh, I, I, I want to go in but I'm scared to go in. But now it appears as if it's too late. Now Jesus has died. And there was something about the death of Christ that stirred them enough to where they said, you know what, forget about it. I'm no longer hiding it. I want the body of Jesus. We want to give Him a proper burial. Now here's these two very wealthy, very influential men. I'm telling you, I doubt they had prepared too many bodies for death and burial. They had other people to do that. But what they're now doing is going to Jesus. But you know what I can't help but believe? I can't help but believe their hearts were full of regret and pain. As they anoint the body of Jesus, as they wrap, I can imagine it's very silent. I can imagine there's hardly a word going back, back and forth between Nicodemus and Joseph as they wrap his body. I can imagine maybe as they wrap and work in silence that tears are just coming down their face, not only because of the death of Jesus, but they're thinking, wow, we were never willing to stand up for Him. We were not willing to speak up for Him. Can I tell you something today? That's a place that you don't want to be. You do not want to stand in that place of regret Oh, don't you think they were just thinking, if I would have only stood up and said, hey, I, I know Him. I believe in Him. I, they're wishing they would have perhaps stood up and said that. 
But but now the time has passed, it seems. And, And that's not all. If you go to the next chapter of John, the Bible says in John 19, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst of them and said unto them, Peace be unto you. So here's the disciples, and what are they doing? They're hiding for fear of the Jews. On the Sunday that we read about in John 20, the disciples have a private faith. You ever talk to somebody like that? Well, I I, I think my faith is a very private thing. Well, I wouldn't advertise that, amen? Because our faith should be a very open thing. But on Sunday, their faith was locked up in a room, scared. Man, how many people are there today? Locked up and scared. They believe, but they're in there locked up and scared. They had a private faith. There's a lot of Christians today with a private faith. See, today there are government leaders who say that they will allow churches to meet. Well, isn't that gracious? They will allow us freedom of worship in our buildings. But I'm telling you, the founders of this country, based on the Word of God, had a belief. And they believed that we are endowed by our Creator with certain inalienable rights. Endowed by our Creator. Your rights, young people, your rights do not come from the United States government. Our rights do not come from the Supreme Court. See, the problem with the government giving us rights is if they give them to you, they can take them away. But our country, our founders said God gave certain rights to people. And among those is the freedom of religion, the freedom of speech. Listen, the the government doesn't give rights. Our rights come from God. And furthermore, we, we recognized the veterans earlier. Every service member, every public servant, every politician, when they took the oath of office, promised to protect and ensure the rights guaranteed in the Constitution of the United States. That's why many of them need to be impeached. That's why, by the way, I'm not going down this road. Okay, I'll go down it real quick and get back. How do you feel about this? We know that one of the the founding principles of our country is freedom of religion. Uh, You want to know what the very first, and this was not a part of our country when it was initially founded because when you started having the Church of England and certain ones, they wanted the, the, uh, the state church to be able to run things. Many of the colonies began to be founded on those same principles. Thank God for our founders that were trying to fight against that. But you want to know what the very first colony with religious freedom was? It was Rhode Island. You want to know why? Because it was founded by a Baptist that believed the Bible was the sole authority of Scripture and so people would flee to Rhode Island. And man, Rhode Island's gone a long way from that today. But uh, they, they would go there because they knew that this was a place where we can worship without being arrested without being beaten, and yes, all that was going on in colonial America. 
But thank God for those that believed in freedom of religion. But I'll say this, this is an interesting thing. How do you feel about this? Do you know that there's still some state constitutions, including the, the constitution, the state constitution of North Carolina, that says in order to hold office in this country, you must believe in God? He said, well, that doesn't sound like freedom of religion. That sounds like, uh, the, 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 you know, that sounds against the Establishment Clause. But, but it's not. But it makes sense, does it not? Because if you, how can you uphold a Constitution that says we believe that we are endowed with our, or by our Creator? So how can a politician truly swear that oath if they don't believe in God? Now, that's not to say that you can't be a member of this, uh, be, a, be a citizen of this country and not believe in God. You can do that all you want to. But if you're going to hold office, that's why many of the state constitutions say you must believe in God. Kind of makes sense, doesn't it? But the thing I'm just trying to say is this. We've had our little polite Sunday morning faith for too long. It's time we speak up. It's time we stand up. It's time that we believe. It's time that we overcome our fears. Let me tell you something about fear. Fear not or be not afraid is used at least 103 times in the Bible. That for, either fear not or be not afraid. Probably over 500 times there's a reference that's talking about being afraid and basically insinuates that we don't need to because we have faith in God. Or because we can't have faith in God. But I want you to listen to me carefully right here. If you're an Edward Kimball, if you're standing in his shoes today, or if you find yourself standing in his shoes this week to where you, you put your faith in Christ and you, you, you want to speak up, you want to make a difference in somebody else's life, but you come to that place of fear, I want you to notice this very, very, very plainly. Listen to what I say right here. Fear is not a failure in your character. Fear is not a failure in your character. Fear is a part of the human condition. Okay? The reason God tells us so often not to fear, you know what that tells me? He knows something about every one of us. We struggle with fear. He doesn't just tell us one time. He has to remind us over and over and over. What about heroes? You ever think about that? We recognize our veterans here today. You know, you know we, 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 we can glorify and, and, and romanticize uh, you know, the efforts that our heroes have made and, and those that have been in combat and those that have saved the lives of their comrades and things of that nature. And we almost want to think of it as these guys that just, man, these guys have no fear. These guys are just filled with courage. These guys, you know what? I think just about every one of those guys, if they'd be honest, would tell you, no, I was scared. See, because being a hero and being courageous, being courageous doesn't mean that you don't have fear. It means that you overcome that you choose. You make a choice. You make a choice to overcome that fear. See, courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the assessment that something else is more important than fear. 
So fear is not a failure of your character if you face fear. If you face fear when it comes to standing up and speaking out for Him, welcome to the human race, I guess. It's common. But we do not have to succumb to that fear. Be aware of who you are. See, listen, as I look out across this congregation today, we're not just church attenders. We're people on this earth with an assignment. And I don't care, Hawker, what grade are you in, Hawker? I don't care if you're in fourth grade. Eric, what grade are you in? Okay, uh, I don't care if you're in fourth grade or if, uh, you know, if, if Noah shows up for your, graduate, or your class party, your class reunions, okay? Uh, no matter who and where you are, you're on this earth with an assignment. We're not just church attenders. We are on this earth with, with an assignment. We can be bold. Maybe we, maybe we could say this maybe prayer to the Lord. Lord, forgive me. I've wanted to be accepted. I've wanted to fit in. I don't want to be ostracized for my faith. I haven't said enough. I've been quiet. But just like the, the apostles, they were gathered in that room in fear. Those same apostles, just a month later or so, were standing and preaching and literally before their, before their generation passed and before the last one of them died, they had reached the known world with the gospel. They were standing in the face. Matter of fact, man, they would get persecuted. They would get canceled. They would get beaten for the cause of Christ. And Natalie, you know what they'd say? We thank God that we were counted privileged to be beaten for Christ. Think about that. You say, well, that's not a privilege I'm really looking for. Well, me neither. But if we do, listen, I'm not trying to be a martyr today. There are some people I think that are. They're just not going to stop until they finally get somebody to say something bad to them so they can post it on Facebook, you know. Um, but I'll tell you one thing, by the grace of God, you can stand up, you can speak out. All right? You know, the Bible says if you give in to fear, you're a captive of fear, Romans 8, 15. And here's the great news. The thing that changed in those men is the Holy Spirit of God. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 1.7, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I'm going to conclude this morning as in, in John chapter 9. Look at verse 35 of John 9 if you're still there. The Bible says Jesus heard that they had cast him out. Jesus heard that he had been canceled. Jesus heard that he was in Facebook jail, amen, or whatever it is. <laughs> and when he had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. You know, standing for God, I've got to say, does not always have adverse consequences. I can say, young people, when I stood for Christ in school, my, the latter part of my junior year and especially my senior year, 
There was people that made fun of me, and I'm sure of that. But for the most part, it became a weird thing, man. It was kind of cool, but literally, it became in vogue to bring your Bible to school. There was me and a few other friends that got fired up for God and was witnessing to people every possible uh, opportunity that we had. And honestly, it did this weird reversal thing to where it actually elevated us. Um, you know, I, I shared with you before. Can, can you imagine today if I did this? But, you know, I shared with you before that there, there's a picnic tables that were in a courtyard at our high school. Uh, and during class, I wasn't the best student. Uh, but I was in journalism, and I was on my way back from getting a report from the gym teacher about the basketball game the night before, and uh, I stopped and began to witness to some kids that were sitting out at these tables. Before it was all said and done, I was standing up on those picnic tables preaching to them, and everybody else in class in that courtyard, I guess, too. Um, well, you know, the teachers, they just come and kind of dragged me in and took me back to class, and that was the end of it. Uh, but what I'm saying is I didn't really suffer any major consequences for that. You don't always suffer for standing for Christ, but you may. You may suffer. You may not lose your job. You may not lose that promotion. You may not be ostracized and, and, and not receive an invitation uh, from your family to the next get-together, but you might. But I want to tell you something. When that man got canceled, so think about this for a second. His parents, fear, scared to speak up. They wanted the approval of men. So they got to hang out with those crabby old religious leaders. This man got kicked out, but guess who was there by his side? The Lord of glory, amen. And you know what? He was able to worship and he was able to praise all because he was willing to stand up and to speak out the power of one. And as we all stand in here today, I want to encourage you, child of God. And I want to encourage myself. Stand up. Speak out. I'm not talking about just intentionally trying to be obnoxious and saying stuff until finally people get aggravated at me. But I am talking about standing for the, uh, for the Lord. I am talking about standing up and speaking out. If nothing else, you know, you know my, what probably my main motivation is today? Honestly, what's really on my heart? I am talking about being willing to tell another kid about Jesus. Tell my coworker and ask, hey, do you know the Lord? Find, finding a way. I, I, I've shared this. I heard it at the conference I went to. I, you know, I, I'd be one to pass out gospel tracts to people anyway. But through the years, I've said different things. But I, I remember uh, uh, hearing this preacher say this this summer, and I thought it was a good thing. I thought I'm going to try it. I've shared this with some of you, but for those, there's many that haven't heard it. But I carry some gospel tracts with me, and normally it's the one that's got the church information because I want folks to come to church. But more than that, I want people to come to Jesus. And I've literally just been doing this. And I, I'll just take a gospel track and I try, when I go places, I try to make sure I have them in my truck. And before I get them in my truck, I got them right in my door, so I got them when I go out. And that way, I've got to see at least one or two people, Sarah Sue, to where I'll come up and say, Hey, has anybody told you today that God loves you? You say, Well, that sounds like a stupid thing to say. Or that sounds awkward. Uh, I don't know, but I'll tell you one thing. Man, you wouldn't believe how the Lord's been blessing that. And I would say probably eight or nine out of ten people that I offer a track to and ask them that question, uh, their faces usually light up, honestly. 
and they're encouraged by it. Now, there could become a time where somebody wants to kill me because of it. But all I'm saying is, if nothing else, as Danny begins to play, can you speak up in that way? Can you at least ask somebody, hey, I, I really care about